0: Please remain standing as you are able for the reading of today's scripture from 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 13 through 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he's revealed. Like obedient children, do not conform to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, As he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. So before I get started, if any of you see Davis walking around looking for his glasses, let him know I found him. <laughs> Christmas Eve was a busy time, so. <laughs> he sends his greetings today. He has the blessing of being in Atlanta and hearing his son Andrew preach this morning. I know that'll be a joy for him, and so we bless him in that opportunity. So this past week, I was sharing Christmas reflections with a friend when she said, Mine was good other than I ate too much, but hey, that's what the new year is for. I can relate to that and perhaps some of you can too. And it is that time of year where we pause to consider what we might want to accomplish in the new year. New year, new you. We call these resolutions, although I'm not exactly sure why because sometimes we almost assume failure when we say that word, resolution. But the important thing to consider today is whether it happens on January the 1st or not, that it's really important to find some time to set aside some time during the year where we reflect on how we're living and if we need or want to do things differently. As many of you have noticed, I set a goal last year to be more disciplined with my eating habits and I was able to shed a few pounds. Some of you have asked and have been curious about how I did that. Well, I did follow Weight Watchers But interestingly in this process, I learned something really important and that is that the method does not replace the motivation. If we don't understand why we are doing something, we will never do it, not for very long anyway. Our purpose must be clear and compelling and always before us for us to find the discipline required to succeed in a challenging goal especially if it's something that goes against our urges or our cravings or our natural tendencies as human creatures when it comes to eating or pretty much anything else we'd love to have the freedom to do whatever we want i enjoy milkshakes therefore If I'm living on my whim or by what makes me feel good in the moment, I'm going to have that milkshake every time. And as enjoyable as this approach is, it does bring problems. It's easy and it's fun to live by our urges until it isn't. Until we wake up one morning and the consequences have finally caught up with us. Now, this goes not only for eating, but also for other things, like our spending habits like maybe our pattern of putting work before family, or maybe even play before work, and the list could go on and on. Anything that we take complete liberty to do as we please, with no discipline whatsoever, will eventually catch up with us and we will face the consequences. Yet, our society seems to send the message that individual freedom, freedom to choose whatever we want to do, is a higher good than just about anything else. If it feels good to me, if I desire it, I should have it. As it turns out and as we learn from today's study, this kind of freedom isn't really very freeing at all. This kind of freedom can develop into vices that enslave us and can actually lead to death. We can't really do whatever we want and live happy, healthy lives both relationally and physically, or economically, or spiritually. Today's passage from 1 Peter instructs us to be obedient and disciplined to God's word, that it is to be our guide and our primary source of authority. The problem, as just implied, is that our age doesn't really like putting itself under authority. As the atheist philosopher Thomas Nagel candidly confessed, quote, It not just that I don't believe in God and that I hope that I'm right. It's that I hope that there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. He concludes that cosmic authority is not a rare problem. Of course, as most of you know from experience, this kind of hypothesized absolute freedom is not real. We are always giving up some things in order to gain others. If I want a healthy body, I have to cut out the milkshakes. If I want freedom from debt, I have to curtail my spending. And in relationships, especially in a marriage, if we want it to be healthy, we have to give sometimes, sometimes a little, sometimes a lot. As the philosopher Charles Taylor says in his book, The Secular Age, to have any kind of livable society, some choices have to be restricted. Some authorities have to be respected. And individual responsibility has to be assumed. Today's text says that we are to be disciplined, obedient, that we are to willingly give over some of our freedoms to God and for God. We are to change the way that we live and behave. In Jesus' words, we must lose our lives in order to save them. Today's passage goes on to state that we are not to conform to our former desires, but rather we are to be holy as God is holy. Wait a minute be holy? Really? Hmm. Recently, my daughter had to fast for a medical procedure that they couldn't complete until the next day. This meant no food from midnight the night before until about 6.30 p.m. the next day, and she was dreading it, dreading the anticipated hunger of it. I not so helpfully quipped that when Jesus fasted in the wilderness, he was able to overcome the devil. She probably rolled her eyes, although I couldn't see it because we were in the car and she was sitting over here, and she said, I'm not that holy. <laughs> and in a sense, she's right, and this is true of all of us. None of us are inherently holy, nor can we be under our own devices. Similarly, I was in a business meeting a few weeks ago, and one of the young adult participants who's not affiliated with our church said, quote, my generation does not come to church because we can't be good enough. We are afraid that we're going to be expected to be something that we're not, and we know we can't be that. I get his concern. We are all human, after all. None of us can be perfect or take the pressure of feeling like we should be perfect for very long without developing anxiety or depression or some other kind of stress disorder. This is especially problematic if we think another's love is dependent on our being perfect. This is not healthy or life-giving. So how in the world do we interpret this passage and apply it to our lives? Has God set the bar too high for us to reach? What does holiness look like anyway? Sometimes our idea of holiness looks maybe a bit moralistic or legalistic. Perhaps that is what was preventing the young man and his friends from coming to church. That kind of understanding of holiness is certainly not going to win any souls for Christ, not to mention that I don't believe Christ would like it very much either. He was constantly calling out the Pharisees for their legalistic ways, especially those that neglected mercy. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you tithe small things like mint and dill and cumin, but you neglect the weightier things like justice and mercy and faith. In other passages, Jesus was appalled that the legal experts didn't understand that it was okay to break the Sabbath rule in order order to mercifully heal someone and give them new life. Jesus tried to get them to see that following a set of rules without compassion was not what it was all about. In everything, we need to discern what is merciful and faithful and just. Timothy Keller, a Presbyterian author and pastor, presented an argument in one of his books that I think is helpful for this conversation. He points out that there are two big and seemingly opposite pitfalls in our attempts to understand and follow the command to be holy and obedient. On one hand there's legalism and on the other side is antinomianism. Let me just explain what his argument says. First, legalism believes that by being good we can gain God's blessing. Legalism, Keller says, is the thought that God's love for us is conditioned on something we can be or something we do. It is the attitude that I can offer certain things like my ethical goodness, my avoidance of sin, my faithfulness to the Bible, my service to the church, that we could take these things somehow and add to Christ's work and contribute to God's goodwill toward us. Legalism, some have observed, seems to be driven more by fear of God than love of God. We feel we need to be perfect to earn God's love. Now antinomianism on the other hand is the idea that we can have God without following any of the rules. Keller explains antinomianism is the thought that since God loves me regardless of my record, he doesn't mind how morally or immorally I live. It is the attitude that God accepts me as I am and only wants me to be who I am. Antinomians see the law as an obstacle to freedom, rather as a means of growth and grace. This position seems to have a lot of self-centeredness in it and can develop into an anything-goes attitude. We take God's love for granted and do not respect God enough to follow any of his commands. Now, both of these extremes of obedience. I have to do it all myself. I don't really have to do anything. It's all up to me. Nothing is up to me. Betray the same underlying spiritual problem. Keller argues that although they look quite different, the root cause is actually the same. It's an underlying belief that we cannot trust God to have our best interests at heart. He explains, quote, it was this attitude that the serpent attacked in the Garden of Eden. The serpent argued that disobedience to God would be liberating, which it was not. Nevertheless, humanity believed the serpent, and this lie has been passed down to us, and many have been believing it ever since. This means that whether we follow God's laws obsessively or not at all, it's ultimately because we don't trust God's goodwill toward us. And it's easy to see how both of these extremes, both temptations, skew the gospel message and taint our witness. Both prevent us from having a healthy relationship with God. There's none of the give and take, discernment, and wisdom that it takes to be in a healthy relationship. God is either wrathful and demands more than we are capable of giving or we don't trust and respect God and so we give nothing. This is a dilemma. What are we to do? How are we to prevent falling into these errors? Like the answer to most of our faith questions, we find the answer in Jesus. God, it seems was addressing this very dilemma when he sent his son to dwell with us. God sent Jesus so that we could know him, so that Jesus could reveal God's true nature to us and that we could trust his great, perfect love for us. Our why for being obedient is because God first loved us. Jesus was sent so that we would stop trusting the serpent and start trusting God fully and completely. Jesus is our perfect example. He gave away everything. He gave away all of his freedom, even to the point of death, to be in a relationship with us and to be obedient to his heavenly father. He did it willingly, not grudgingly. And through his perfect self-emptying life and death, he gave us access to unmerited grace and a heart in his holiness Jesus says in John seventeen ten, I made myself holy so that they could be holy the amazing thing about being holy in Christ is that we don't have to earn it and we don't have to deserve it we become holy not through our own works but through his we don't have to be perfect because he was perfect And once we receive it, we will be motivated to respond by giving our lives as a holy and living sacrifice. And in 1 Peter 1-2, we learn that we are made holy for the purpose of being obedient to Christ. The gift is given so that we will be obedient. Thus, we are not saved by our, our obedience, but we are saved for it, for our obedience. When you trust The ultimate love of your life. You're willing to give away some of your freedoms joyfully. Now, contrary to what our modern culture may assume, obedience to God does not take away our freedom, it does not make our lives miserable. It actually gives us life. In fact, obedience to God is the only way to experience true freedom freedom from fear freedom from absence of purpose, freedom from self-sitterness and lack of restraint, freedom from the kind of rebellion and sin that leads to death. Knowing that we are loved more than we deserve is our why. It is what motivates us to seek, to know, and to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if we do this, everything else will fall into place. So my prayer for us for 2019 is that we learn to trust God wholly with all of our lives, not just part of it, that we know in the depths of our heart God's goodness and love toward us, that we will willingly become slaves to God rather than slaves of our impulses. As Peter says, let us not waste our precious lives on the things of this world that are perishable, but let's invest them into the things of the kingdom that are imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I want to conclude today by quoting some wise words from a pastor theologian, William Barclay. Hear these words Love each other heartily because you have been reborn. Life is no longer dominated by desire, ignorance, and futility, where there is nothing to live for and nothing to die for. A Christ-filled life is a life of obedience and holiness. It is one of reverence, always aware that you are in the presence of God. Life is of such supreme value that it cannot be wasted or thrown away. It is one of mutual love. Christians are remade, the life of God is in us. The great characteristic of the life of God is love and so we must show that love for all people. Christians are people who live the Christ-filled life, the life that is different, the life that never forgets the endless nature of its obligation and is made beautiful by the love of God who gave it birth. May it be so for each of us as we renew our covenant this day and look toward a holy and a grace-filled 2019. Amen.